0: Good morning. If you're visiting today, our current series is in Genesis titled Creation, Culture, and Christ. I'll be preaching from Genesis 3 1 through 7 today, which I'll put up on the screen for you uh, titled Did God Really Say That? You surely will not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Uh, Heavenly Father God, we, we identify, we, we relate to Adam and Eve who have been given your commands, given the word of God. The highest authority in the heavens and the earth. And yet, we've refused to obey it. We've rejected it. We've rejected your authority for the same reasons that Adam and Eve did. We failed to acknowledge that you are the greatest being in the universe, Lord. Lord. And there is nothing, there's nothing that any temptation can provide, nothing that sin can provide for us that is more glorious than you. And through the cross, through your love for us, demonstrated through the death of Christ Jesus while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Your word says that. Your word says that there is no other name. Under heaven or on earth, except Christ Jesus that may be called upon, who can save. So God, I pray that if whatever part of God's word, well, of your word, that we may have trouble with accepting this morning, that we wouldn't have trouble with believing that the Son of God became flesh in order to die on a cross in our place for our sins and rose from the dead so we may know our salvation is secure. God, I pray that we would believe that. That would be the beginning point for anyone who has not yet started there. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As we move further into our series on creation, culture and Christ, we, we arrive at the point where human beings first question God's command. This One challenge to his authority is what's referred to as the fall. Because when Adam and Eve sinned grievously against the Lord in the Garden of Eden, the rest of humanity and creation were affected. You were affected. I was affected. Our marriages were affected. Our friendships were affected. Our employment was affected. relevant in every one of our lives, and answers the universal question, why is the world the way that it is? Why is the world like this? To which the Bible replies, tells us, because of Adam and Eve's transgression in the Garden of Eden. That one, that one transgression, just one, is the reason for our suffering and our afflictions. That one sin is the cause of all diseases and death. It's the anger behind violence and brutality. It's the despair of broken families and the bitterness of shattered marriages. It's the impatience and the unwillingness of parents to love their children as we should. And it's the hardened heart of every child who is prone to disobey. Sin is the motivator behind selfishness and greed. It's the voice within us that persuades us that this world is about me, me, me. It's the tongue that speaks slander and lies, creates division. It delights in manipulating and deceiving. And and it takes everything that is not inherently evil, and it turns it into idolatry in every one of our hearts. In short, sin, sin. Sin is the reason the world is the way it is. And then all of that, that complete depravity of those who were made in the image of God all began with one question. Did God really say that. We'll spend some time uh, this morning looking at Genesis 3 soon enough. But our series is called Creation, Culture, and Christ. So I want to point out something about the disruption of our society, which isn't new. We're just living in it. But the disruption of our society, that has resulted in the loss of pretty much every moral fabric and sensical ideology can be traced back to this one question and the intent behind this question this challenging of God's authority is to persuade us that that what is written down in the Word of God is either an error it's misunderstood it's a wrong translation or it's just an Incorrect interpretation. And once, once we begin to doubt the authenticity and truthfulness of the Bible, what follows? A denial of its reliability and ultimately a rejection of its authority. That's the goal. The formula used to move culture in that direction is always the same. It's not new for our culture. It's always the same. Did God really say that? To which we know our society has responded with a resounding no. No, he did not. And even if he did, who cares? I mean, just consider the first two chapters of Genesis that we've gone through so far. The Bible says... God created humans in his image and made them male and female. Society challenges. They challenge back. Did God really say there's only two genders? Is it a sign of birth? The Bible says God designed marriage and made it to be honored between a man and a woman. Society challenges back. Did God really say that marriage is only to be between a man and a woman? The Bible says God blessed his creation and gave us the ability to multiply, to reproduce, have babies. Society challenges back. Did God really say life is a blessing if at some point I consider it to be an inconvenience? The Bible says God created the heavens and the earth. Society challenges back and says, there is no God. Loved ones, challenging the rightful place of God's word is the primary contributor as to why humanity at large unashamedly rejects the creative order of God. They will continue to live in an increasing state of darkness until they are confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Word of God in flesh, incarnate. and Only only He is able to shine truth and light into the darkest heart and convince them that yes, God did say that. But we should personalize it, because if we're honest with ourselves, hopefully we can admit that we too are tempted by the same question. We're tempted to at least say, "Ah, did he really mean, did he really mean none? Therefore, we should ask the Lord this morning to address our own hearts, so that we would acknowledge the Word of God as the highest authority. The church, the Church of Jesus Christ, the Christian, the individual believer, every single one of us. Here's some quick application. We should acknowledge the Word of God as the highest authority in our life. That trumps everything. So, point number one saturate yourself with the Bible. When I think about the interaction between Eve and the serpent, I'm reminded of Paul's words to his pupil, Timothy. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul says, he tells Timothy, do your best, do your best, my son, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and correctly handles the word of truth. What a great word that would have been to Eve here in Genesis 3. Because when the serpent comes to tempt her, he does what he does best. He, he takes God's word and he twists the command that God gave her in order to deceive her. That's where he begins. The goal is to get her to reject it, but he doesn't begin there. And he doesn't just dismiss what God has said, right? As if God's command not to eat from the tree doesn't even exist. I mean, think of, Satan is not an atheist. No, he, he acknowledges God's command. He just twists it. I mean, look at verse one. The serpent says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? No, no, he didn't say that. He just said, you you can eat from any, just accept one. And initially in verse 2, Eve responds correctly. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Good job, Eve. So far, so good. (laughs) But then she says, "But God also said, don't touch it. You must not touch it or you will die no he didn't he never said they would die if they touched it only if they ate from it this would have been a opportune moment for Adam to jump in and say Eve honey what are you talking about Eh? God didn't say that we couldn't touch it He just said, don't eat from it. There's Adam's, it even says in the text, not here, uh, Adam was with her. Adam had an opportunity to fulfill his role as the protector of his family, as well as his role to keep watch over the garden and keep it from anything that would defile it. And the serpent came to defile the sacred space. In Alabama, we bop snakes on the head. That's what we do. That's what the girls said. They said, Pop, just found another copperhead. We bopped them on the head. It's good. Nope. <laughs> One time, April's mother, since she's not here, I can probably say this, it didn't, like, kill it. So she ended up picking it up with a shovel, putting it in a bucket, then throwing a big boulder on it, which still didn't kill it. And then she heated up boiling water and started pouring it on it until it would... <laughs> Kill it. Kids, don't have nightmares. (laughs) John Owen, kill sin or it will be killing you, right? That's that's what should have taken place. Kill the serpent. Kill the snake. Protect your family. The way to do so was by holding himself and his family accountable to God's word. The way for Adam to do so, to protect his family in the garden. And he did not he knew God's command but he timidly hid in the shadows while his wife was being tempted it's funny cuz Eve's the one who's deceived and it's husbands that I'm singling out here in some application <laughs> cuz the call to protect our family is a God appointed role gentlemen it's not just a call for physical protection it's a call for spiritual. That responsibility did not die with Adam. And look, let's look, look at Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That, that's the verse we typically quote, right? To our men, to our husbands. It's a good one. Lead on your life for your wives as Christ did for the church. There's more to the passage also says Christ sanctified his bride by cleansing her with the word. So should we. We're to present our families blameless, and we do that by submitting our families under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Which means, as for me in my house, as for you in your house, we will obey the Bible. We will follow Christ as Lord. That's a Timothy version of Joshua 24:15. Amen. Then it begins with us saturating ourselves with the scriptures so that it would permeate throughout our entire home. The store I work at, we have wonderful smelling candles and incense and like burn them all day and when I go home, my daughter says, "Ah." Oh. She she smells me. It's kind of weird. She comes up and puts her nose right in my clothes. She goes, ah, I love it when you come home from (laughs) that. It's a good smell. What if the word of God permeated from me as that incense did? The fragrance of Christ, gentlemen. There's no place for In these matters, we cannot sit on the sidelines while our family is being attacked because I can assure you, if we remain stagnant, our enemy will not. That's what Peter warns us, right? The Apostle Peter warns us that great dragon, Satan, is roaming the earth just looking for someone to devour. Who do you think he'll feast on? The one who's confident strong, mature in the scriptures, or the one who's easily deceived and unable to defend themselves. No. Here, here, right here, is when we, when we look at the Gospels compared to or contrasted to Genesis 3 We we see where Christ was victorious for us, where Adam and Eve were not. Matthew 4, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan says to Jesus, you've been fasting 40 days. You must be hungry. Turn the stone into bread, Jesus. Take a bite. Jesus responds, I don't live on bread alone. Food may nourish the body, but the word of God nourishes the soul. I think we all need this reminder. There isn't one of us here that doubts that we can't survive without food. We know without food we'll die. And why are some of us convinced that we can survive by starving ourselves from God's word then? When Jesus says, no, no. In order to live, we must feed our spiritual hunger by reading the word of God. We must feast on God's word. Go home. Not not like this moment. When you go home, find time, make time, be intentional to dive deeply into the wells of Christ. As I thought about this first point of application, I said, This is going to sound super profound. The preacher is telling us to read our Bibles. <laughs> oh, are you? Right? Are you reading your Bible? Are you being fed by the Word of God? Are you being comforted and encouraged in the Scriptures? Is it helping you grow as a Christian? Is the Spirit using it to transform you to look more like Christ Jesus? Is it convicting you of sin? Calling you to repent? Is, is God speaking to you through His Word? And I mean, are you being reminded of God's immeasurable love for you? Reminded that he is for you and not against you. All of that's in God's word. I mean we don't we don't read our bibles because it checks off a box on our religious to-do list. I know legalism does that. Nor I mean reading the bible doesn't score us points with God. Jesus scored us points with God by being sinless. We don't need any more points. His points are sufficient. We read the scriptures because they're life-giving. They're life-giving. Peter, disciples, you going to walk away too? No. Why not? Because you have the words of eternal life. The scriptures are life-giving, and they are vital to our relationship with the Lord. First point of application, read the Bible. Saturate yourself with the scriptures. Second, resist temptation. You will not die. The serpent said to the woman, God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, Eve, knowing good and evil. Turn back to Matthew 4. We see that that Christ wasn't just victorious about resisting the temptation to turn the bread into the stone. But he was tempted two more times. And yet he still resisted. The devil took Jesus to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Well, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written... He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus responded, that's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this, Jesus, all of this I will give you if you will just bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then, verse 11. And then the devil left him. James 4 7. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Eve. There's your application. Resist the serpent. Submit to God. Worship and serve the Lord God only. She doesn't. I mean, not only does she misquote God, but now she actually begins to doubt him. And tragically, her margin for error was no match for the serpent's cleverness. I should say one thing about the serpent. It says the Lord God made him. He ain't equal to God. Okay? There's not one thing Satan has ever done that God has not allowed. He was created. Okay. The serpent says to the woman, you won't die. Certainly you won't die. God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve, God's withholding from you. He's withholding good. But you can have it. You can have it. All you have to do is just take a bite. I promise you'll be happier if you do. In that moment, sin made her a promise that it never intended to deliver. It was unable to. Unfortunately, it was too late because she had already began to believe it. It's a quick point of application, but Eve's application is ours too. Resist the devil. Resist temptation. Submit to God. Fight temptation. And one of the easiest ways... We can fight temptation. It's the same way that Jesus does it by faith. We do it by faith. Sin promises it'll be great, and we say, but the Lord says it will not. I will trust the Lord. Don't be deceived by sin. Whoops, that's last week. Uh oh. Apparently, I sent the wrong. I never finished my slides. I did. I don't know what (laughs) happened. Maybe I forgot to hit save. That's awkward. At least that's a transition between points. All right, point three, don't be deceived by sin. You have to look at verse 6 and 7. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. My wife hates this illustration, but have you ever ordered something you'd seen advertised, and like, what, you know, through the mail, <laughs> like what it says you were supposed to get isn't what you actually got. I'm, it's happened a few times, but there's one specific time. When we lived in North Dakota, we had a beach trip coming up, which is very important when you live in North Dakota. I ordered this Ohio State. Hawaiian Aloha shirt. It was glorious (laughs) to wear at the beach. I saw it on social media. It looked amazing. It was was the perfect shirt. (laughs) When it came in the mail, though, it, it was not like the ads, it said, or at least shown. It was too small. The buttons were on the wrong side of the shirt. It makes it hard to button up. My wife says, maybe she doesn't hate the illustration. She just hates the shirt. She says, it's hideous. And it, and it didn't arrive on time. It didn't even come before we went to the beach. I ordered it months prior to going. I never got to wear it to the, well, I never got to wear it to that beach. I did get to wear it, well, I wear it here in Leavenworth sometimes. Anytime I go to the beach, I wear it. But the point is that the ad promised me something it couldn't deliver. Now, that's funny. That's a joke. That's what sin does. Sin promises us what it can never deliver. It doesn't even intend to. It's, it's deceitful. It manipulates. It tricks. It lies. It's deceptive. Because while at the core, sin is hideous on the inside, on the outside we see, well, we see in today's text in Genesis 3 that sin is disguised with an enticing appearance that it's going to fulfill your desire. Verse 6. Eve saw the fruit was good to eat. The fruit was pleasing to the eye. It was desirable. I mean, make no mistake about it. What what do we learn here? The Bible says that sin appears desirable, right? It looks good. It comes in light, packaged in light. It doesn't come packaged in darkness. I mean, think about it. If sin didn't entice us, if it wasn't enticing, none of us would be doing it. have to be aware of its deceitfulness. It, it attracts us with a promise that it's going to provide something for us that God cannot or will not provide. In Eve's case, she was tempted to believe the fruit promised something, that, <laughs> what God was withholding from her. Verse 5, God knows that when you eat from it, Eve, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good for evil. Translate, Eve, God is withholding from you, girl. God's preventing you from reaching your fullest potential. You can be like God. Eat this, you'll be like him. Knowing good from evil, with which he's essentially saying, "Eat this fruit, and you will be like God, determining what is good and what is evil." You want to be equal to God, Eve? This fruit will give you divine wisdom. And so they ate, and after they ate, their eyes were open, and they realized they were naked. There's at least three deceptions here I noted. One is that Satan is tempting them to become like God, to become like God when they were already given dominion over the earth to rule as God-like kings. Have dominion over the earth. Be God's representatives. The second deception is that the temptation promised to make them equal with God It actually, once they sinned, they didn't become equal. They were separated. They would be banished from God. And the final deception is what they believe would would provide them with life would end up taking their lives from them. It makes sense why Paul writes the wages of sin is death. Sin is deceitful. Sin promises, what sin promises will bring us, provide the greatest joy, will actually end up making you the most miserable. Of course, in the moment, just like Eve, whenever we're tempted to sin, we're only focused on the happiness it will bring. We rarely ever consider its consequences. Loved one, don't underestimate the consequences of sin. Don't underestimate the grievousness of what you may consider to be a tiny sin. Because hopefully, you can see the weightiness of your sin when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ. It's there on the cross that the penalty of sin was executed by the wrath of God. It's our final point. Leave your sin at the cross. That's application. Leave your sin at the cross. Romans 5, 18 through 19, Paul picks up on the fall, and he picks up on the gospel. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners so also through the obedience of the one, many will be made righteous. Romans 5 is great. Let's read the whole chapter. It's a a great juxtaposition between Adam and Christ. And through Adam's disobedience, we were made sinners. But through Christ's obedience we're made righteous. Through Adam's disobedience, we all die, but through Christ's obedience, we all live. Through Adam's disobedience, we're all condemned, but through Christ, we're pardoned. In Adam, we deserve wrath, but in Christ, we receive reward. In Adam we deserve justice, but in Christ we receive grace. This is what Paul is saying. This is why we exalt Christ in the gospel, because only Christ was able to be our representative, to take our place on the cross, able to pay the debt that we owed to God for our sin. Because only he was sinless, right? We have to exalt the sinlessness of Christ. The the question for you today is, who is your representative? Is it Adam? Or is it Christ? That question... As Russell Crowe said in Gladiator, I didn't say this question. That question is going to echo in eternity. The answer to that question, who is your representative, Adam or Christ, is going to echo in eternity. Because in Adam, you're still a sinner. In Adam, you'll die. In Adam, you're condemned. In Adam, you deserve justice. Not justice for the wrongs done to you. Let me clarify. You deserve justice for the wrongs you've committed against God. That's in Adam. But in Christ. That's why we don't preach Adam. That's why we preach Christ. In Christ, you're counted righteous. In Christ, you're pardoned. In Christ, you receive grace. In Christ, you are made alive. In Christ, in Christ alone, you live. And find ourselves that all the things that God provides for us in Christ, through Christ, it's by grace, but it's provided through faith, right? We have to believe our faith is based upon responding to what God has said. Our faith is believing and trusting God's word and the promise He made to every single one of us. is that he would forgive our sins through the death and resurrection of the son of god <clears throat> if you believe right. the question then every one of us must answer on this side of eternity is did god really say that let's pray Heavenly Father, God, we have nowhere else to go. We have nowhere else to go but Christ. If we're honest in our hearts and our minds, Lord, we have fallen shorter than even Romans 3 describes that we have all fallen short in sin, or sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know what we deserve. God, convince us, even for us who are believers, convince us as we go home, convince us in our relationships with one another, how we treat one another, Lord, how we view our relationship with you. That you don't count our sins against us. That Christ paid the full penalty on the cross. We have nothing to fear, Lord. Death has no sting. Sin has no power. And when Christ returns, there will be no presence of everything that came from the fall in the Garden of Eden. And God, let us anticipate, as, as, as they, the, the prophets long ago anticipated the first advent of Christ, Lord, that we would anticipate his coming, his return, when this earth will be made new, Lord, which is taking place through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's taking place through the hearts of those who believe, Lord. Call us to repent and believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.